Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 11, titled, With Him or Against Him. Amen. Good morning. We're in the book of Luke, chapter 11. Study here on Sunday mornings. Working our way through the book of Luke. Spent a lot of time in prayer and on prayer. Uh, first 13 verses of, of chapter 11 has taken us about four months, so... Um, I don't think the rest of it's going to take us that long. Some of it's short, some of it's long, some of it can be summed up pretty quick because some of it requires a ton of uh, explanation. Luke chapter 11, we're going to be verses uh, 14 through 23. Shifting gears, uh, we're kind of, um, what's the word, kind of lose our place when we spend that much time in a single place. You've got to remember this is a progression of Jesus' life, and even though we spent four months on, on 13 verses. He spent 15 minutes. So the progression of time in Jesus' ministry is this, is this is it. I mean, he's the last couple months of his ministry before his crucifixion. And so things are winding down in multiple ways. And one of them you're going to see here, the attitude of the people. Um, did, did, they, did they accept him? Did they reject him? Uh, take a look. Verse 14. He was casting out a demon because what? He did a lot of that. They had a lot of those issues. And it was dumb, because demons are dumb, right? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about he couldn't speak and wouldn't allow the person to speak who it controlled. It came about that when the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke and the multitudes marveled, which is common. Like I said, this is, Jesus didn't deliver 10. He didn't deliver 100. Uh, we're going to see indications, thousands probably, undoubtable thousands, tens of thousands healed from other, other things. Some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul or Beelzebub, depending on which translation you have. It mean the same thing. The ruler of the demons. It's another name for Satan. Wow, how did we get to that? So Satan is now benevolent in helping people? Their argument is uh, pretty absurd. And others to test him said, demanding him a sign from heaven. So, <laughs> so let's see, he's, doing, he's delivering this guy from a demon who, and he couldn't speak ever before in his life and now he does. I mean, that's a pretty good sign i'm thinking i don't know how many signs do you need he knew their thoughts they're not saying it directly to him they're just saying it in the background they're in their heads he knew their thoughts is any kingdom divided against itself is absurdity of their argument is laid waste and a house divided against itself falls as satan also is divided against himself how shall his kingdom stand for you say that i cast out demons by beelzebul but i if i by beelzebul cast out demons if that were true, by whom do your sons cast them out? So you're qualified to say one is true and one isn't, so what qualifies you for this? Consequently, they shall be your judges, the ones who are doing, doing what they can. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he gives us a little explanation of how this whole demon possession, casting out thing works in an illustration. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, Homestead, his possessions are undisturbed, but when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him his armor on which he had re relied and distributes his plunder. And then he makes this statement, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me, come to me, he says, scatters. That's that's a massive statement. We're going to be spending most of our time on that statement, but I want to go back and consider some of the things that's going on here. So, wow, what a turn of events. Sad. 
So here we have Jesus in his ministry, helping people, feeding people, healing people, doing all kinds of great things, and they're saying, oh, we think he's, he's bad. Now, if this was the beginning of his ministry, I would say, okay, you know, they don't know who he is. He's from a small town in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows him. He's claiming to be Messiah. Okay, let's give him, let's give him a chance. But this is the end of his ministry. This is after well, like things like this. So, so they brought in many who were, you know, it, it's a mistake, it's a misread of the Bible, a New Testament in particular, to think that Jesus only healed or delivered a handful of people. There's illustration of a handful, basically, in Scriptures, like this one person that we just read. One, one or two here or there who have leprosy, one or two here or there who can't hear, who can't see, one or two here or there that are lame. Those are just excerpts from a three-year ongoing ministry of hundreds, probably thousands of people experiencing the same thing. I'm, I'm going to show you just out of Matthew uh, how easily demonstrated that is. They brought him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. You walk into a hospital, and they got no more patients when he leaves. Yeah, all of them. No matter what they had. No matter what they were sick of. Wasn't particular illnesses. There were illnesses that we have illustrated in the New Testament. Like I said, uh, hearing loss, speech loss, uh, uh, lame, demon possession. These were considered the hierarchical. These would be your your AIDS and your cancer and stuff in our in our culture. They were they were considered to be the worst of the worst. And so they're illustrated in the New Testament because they were considered to be the big the big deals. But he of all of them. Of all their diseases. Why? We keep on going. Matthew, here's the next chapter. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, all of them, teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Literally banished disease. 100%. You got a cough. You don't have a cough anymore. You can't walk. You now walk. So the whole land of Israel is benefited because he swept through. I mean... Can you imagine? Again, it just over the illustration over and over and over again. He withdrew from there and a great multitude followed him and he healed them. How many? All of them. So you're not, those aren't listed anywhere. You don't see those. They're not alliterated in the New Testament because there's just no time. There's not enough room. John says that. If all the things that Jesus did were written in a book, he said, I suppose the whole world wouldn't be able to hold all the volumes. It's true. Here, keep going. Matthew 14. They begged him that he might only touch the hem of his garment. So it wasn't just the lady. You know, we know the story of the lady who touched the hem of the garment, the lady with the issue of blood, right? It wasn't just her. Notice, and as many, if you could get near him, touch him, boom. As many, how many? It's a bunch. Perfectly well. Here's just one more. Matthew 15, 30. The great multitudes came to him. Having them with them, it just names these different types of, of illnesses. The lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So he just continues to heal. He's healed them. He's delivered them. He's uh, fed them. He's restored their families. He's restored people back from the dead. I mean, he literally has changed the culture. Can you imagine? Just sweeping through. Every person, no matter what it was, Boom, all of them. This has happened in three years. We're not talking about a 30-year ministry or 
You know, the ones that used to be sick, he got in a car wreck later on, and, you know, he's not here anymore kind of thing. No, they're all there. There's probably not a person in this group right here who doesn't have somebody that they know or related to who is different because Jesus has been there for three years. And yet, what are they saying about him? It's amazing, isn't it? They're saying, it's the work of Satan. How do you get there? That's amazing. You know, if anything, you would think he would be loved and popular by this time. It's just such a statement. It's incredibly important that we get this on the depravity of humanity. We are some, some depraved individuals. Never doubt it. We are depraved. Because we could, with this level of evidence, how many of you would love to see even one of those miracles? Would have been awesome. They've seen thousands. Going to see Jesus is like going to see, I don't know, some kind of play or show. What's he going to do next? They're just following him around because it's the thing to do. Everyone's doing it. You never know what he's going to do next. But then they conclude what they conclude. Wow. So, and, and you hear people say all the time, but people just need more reproof. No, they don't. No, they don't. You want to know one of the, one of the reasons why you don't have the proliferation of miracles today like you had in Jesus' day? Because it doesn't obviously make any difference. Why would God do it? You're going to die anyway. So you want to be healed from your cancer? Great. Let's pray and ask him. He may or may not do it. Back then, it was 100%. What has changed? What has changed is, is he came in his power and glory and ministry, and the world said, now. So, so the bottom line is, here's, here's the bottom line. You'll either believe what he says and who he is, or you'll not, and miracles won't make a bit of difference. I mean, I'm not to say, I've seen miracles and I've seen things that has helped my faith. I'm not saying miracles aren't important. I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm not saying for a lot of people that it didn't matter. A lot of his disciples, when they first saw him do things, that's when they first realized, he's got to be the Messiah. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying there is not enough evidence to convince unbelief. It doesn't matter what you do. Determine unbelief. Like I said, you had this group here saying, show us a sign. What other signs do they need? What more could he do? Give him another three years, maybe 30 years? It, it, will, it would never be. He's banished illness of all versions from the land of Israel. Spiritual, emotional, and physical. And even raised people from the dead. And they're still saying, give us a sign. Why? Because it's never enough for unbelief. It never is. I was reading this uh, psychiatrist who graduate of, uh, of Harvard University, atheist, and been in 15 years uh, working with people in therapy and uh, had, a, had a very sobering moment in his ministry, his work. And he realized that even though he's had scores of people come through his office, he's helped them as much as his education could. He's helped them understand why they are the way they are, why they're so angry, why they're so bitter, why they're so depressed, why they're so messed up, why there's something they can't get past. He says, I'm good at that, there's his own words. He says, I can get them to the places. The problem that it is is that they're just as angry and messed up and depressed and horrible. They're the same horrible people that came into my office when they first started coming to me. He says, all the difference is they now they know why. But nothing's changed. Here was his words, the words of an atheist. He says, they don't need information. They need transformation. Yeah, that's right. Information's not our problem. Transformation transformation that's what's wrong with these people they don't need more information 
They needed transformation. Pretty, like I said, pretty convincing evidence of human depravity. So depraved that you would call a person like Jesus a missionary of Satan. That's what they're saying. With all this evidence, that's their conclusion. How depraved do you have to be? What more could he do? Three years of ministry. Conclusion is the exact opposite of the truth. He's from hell, not from heaven. That's their conclusion. Sobering. He represents Satan, not God. That's what they're saying. He's a liar and doesn't tell the truth. He represents death, not life. Man. We, we underestimate and we underthink the capacity of unbelief. The capacity is great. And by the way, it's, it's all that at the core. Oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily believe in Jesus, but I would never say anything like that about Jesus. Let me say to you, Jesus is going to demonstrate to you that you don't have the luxury of holding a position other than either you're for him or you're against him. He's not going to give you that luxury. Their conclusion is absolutely amazing, especially when you consider how long they've been waiting for the Messiah. It, again, just to illustrate, here's, you know, at Jesus even near to the end of his ministry. And many people believed in him and said, basically, when the Christ comes, he will not do more signs than this man has done, will he? I mean, how's he going to do more? To, to what level? I guess we go to another country and find more sick people because there aren't any in Israel by this time. He's banished the whole nation of any kind of illness whatsoever. And yet they still don't, I mean, why aren't they believing in him? They've been waiting for this. And you might think, well, this is a special kind of unbelief. No, actually, the answer is no, it's not. This is what unbelief is at core. Well, I would never call him Beelzebul. Well, you might as well. You might as well. Jesus only gives you two options. Either you're with him or you're against him. Unbelief always looks like this at the core. And they didn't just... They're, they're, they are not just off in their evaluation of Jesus, they vilify him. So, so the word here, that in, uh, the word Beelzebul or Beelzebub, it, they, were, they were used differently. It depends on if you were speaking Hebrew or speaking Aramaic. And of course, this is actually written in Greek, so you have both of those great center scriptures here. If, he by, if I by Beelzebul cast out, or he's, by Beelzebul he's casting out the ruler of the demons, he's casting out these, these demons. It's their argument here. Like I said, it's an absurd argument. But, but they don't use the word Satan. And this is a derogatory term coined by the Jews centuries before. Because they wouldn't even grace Satan enough to even call him by his name. And so they call it, started calling him Be'el or Ba'al, which is where we get the word Baal from, means the Lord. And Zabub or Zabul means flies. The Lord of the flies. And how is that derogatory? Well, it sounds derogatory, first of all, but it's referring to the flies that gather around fresh dung. That's, they were being derogatory towards Satan. They're not going to give him his title of Satan. They're going to tell him, they're going to call him that. He's the poop god, if you will. They're calling Jesus that. Jesus is operating by the poop god. See, this, <laughs> this is not uncertainty about who Jesus is. This is opposition. This is vilification, is it not? It's not just, well, I'm not really certain about who Jesus is. No, this is heartfelt. We're against him. 
how we hate him. He gets his power from the poop god. Wow, that, like I said, not just uncertain about Jesus. How, how could they say such a thing like that, right? I would never say something like that. Well, great. But what would you say about him? It's awesome that you don't vilify him. That's great. I'm just telling you, if you're not with him, you might as well vilify him. You might as well say he's the king of the dunghill. Might as well be saying it. Because Jesus does not give you the luxury of saying one or something else other than those two things. Jesus leaves us only two options. Back to verse 23. He who is not with me is what? Is against me. And guess what? You don't get to decide what being with him is like. Well, I'm in church. I'm with Jesus. No, you're not. That's not what it says. Where does Jesus say you got to be in church? The Bible does other places, but Jesus never said that. You got to be with me. What does that mean? You, gotta, you have to trust me. Hear, hear me on this. If you're not willing to say he's king, lord, and savior of your life, you might as well say he's the king of the dunghill. It's the same thing. If you're not with him, I'm not with him in the sense of, well, I, I was with him the other day. We were at Waterburger together. No. I mean, he's got to be your Lord and Savior. He's not your Lord and Savior. You're against him. Again, if he's not your Lord and Savior, you're against him. Hell will be no cooler for you than it will be for Satan. Only two sides. Only two sides. Jesus leaves us only these two options. Everyone in the world is living in these two categories. There is not a third. There's not. In this sense, there's only two world religions. With Christ, if you're not, against Him. That's the only two world religions there are. Which one are you a part of? Which one do you belong to? This is clear, it's concise, it's precise, it's definitive, it's determinative. Leaves absolutely no one out, no middle ground, no third option, no neutrality, not any more than there's a middle ground between light and darkness. You're either in the light or you're in the dark. Not any more than there's a middle ground between a lie and the truth. It's either the truth or it's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. Which one are you in? There's not a third option. There's not a Switzerland, if you will, in the war between God and Satan. There's not. He will not give you that luxury. He will not let you deceive yourself. Because if you're not with him, you need to know it. You're against him. You're in the same group that called him by the power of Beelzebub. You're in the same group. Well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter. We're told way too much that what we think matters. It doesn't matter. This is not your universe. Heaven and hell was not created by you, and you don't decide who goes there. And it doesn't come off of your rules or even all our collective rules. It's by his rules. You need to line up with it, decide where you measure up with it. If you don't cross the line, well, you're in trouble. It's not necessary to oppose Jesus to be against him. That's something we really have to understand. We really have to understand him. It's nice to have people who are not against, you know, openly opposing, opposing Christ, vilifying him, attacking his deity, his word, his character, discrediting his church, persecuting Christians. I, you know, I would rather not have any of those people, but just because they're not those things doesn't mean they're with Jesus. It does not. It does not mean that. 
All you have to do is do nothing about Jesus. You're against him. So Jesus puts himself out as the Son of God, as the only Savior and rescue from our sins, but you haven't accepted him yet. You're against him! You're against him. You dare not die like that. Better not pass out of, the life, out of this life, and you will pass out of this life. Don't pass out of this life under those conditions. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan, and eternity, eternity is going to be determined by which ones you are. There's not a third parent, son of God, son of Satan. Yeah. Not a third. Not a neutral. Jesus doesn't give us that luxury. Well, I would never say those things that they said. I think Jesus is a good person. He meant well, and he was a good teacher and a good man. Jesus won't let you call him that. He won't let you. You either hear, hear me on this. He is either God, or he is the greatest blasphemer who ever lived. What is it? Make your decision. You can't have him a third way. And I mean a tremendous blasphemer, because he complained to be God and be able to mete out the things of God, including forgiveness of sins and passage into heaven. That's a huge blasphemer if it isn't true. You can't be neutral on Jesus. They're not a neutral here. Either God or he's the greatest blasphemer to ever live. He either speaks for God or they've got it right, by the way. If he doesn't speak for God, he does speak for Satan. They are right about that. They're wrong in their estimation of that, but they are right. If he's not for God, he's definitely from Beelzebub. He is. He's either the son of God or he is not. He can't be a good man. He's got to be a whacked out crazy person. Jesus is polarizing. He is. In fact, he promised his disciples, I don't come to bring peace to the world. He, uh, well, I should say this. He does say he's going to bring peace, but not until the very end. But his first coming, he didn't come to bring peace. He said, I come to bring a sword. So that the man's house will be divided. Uh, uh, children from their parents and parents from their children and in-laws from in-laws and people from people. He divides us. Why? Jesus is polarizing because there's only two options. Either with him or against him. And they're opposite poles. I'm sure you've seen the little experiments where you can put the, the metal shavings on top of a piece of paper and run a magnet underneath it. And metal shavings all look the same until you run a magnet. And the poles on that magnet attract, depending on which metal shaving it is, they go to the poles. That's exactly the way Jesus is. All us metal shavings here, we all look the same. Pretty much the same lives. Some good, some bad, some not so good, some halfway in between. But then comes Jesus. He polarizes us. You pick your pole. You go north or you go south. There's no in-between. You're one or the other. Like I said, they had it right. If he's not of God, he's a demon-possessed deceiver. And I'll just say this, if that is true. A really good one. He's been doing this for 2,000 years. He's duped hundreds of thousands and millions of people to believe in him. That's an incredible, the, the greatest, he's either, he's either the son of God and the Savior, or he's the greatest deceiver who has ever lived you think about all these deceivers that have come through these different ones more recently, you know, the, the Adolf Hitlers and the, uh, the, the other one, these, these great deceivers. I mean, they have a short term, and nobody follows them anymore because it's obvious that they're liars, right? Jesus, if he's a deceiver, 
I mean, talk about exponentially better than them. He's done it so well. You decide, is that what he is? 2,000 years of deceiving millions? That's your option. Or he's a savior. He needs to be your savior. Jesus is so kind. So he's been through three years of just literally turning their world upside down. Just no, no more to produce, way to produce more signs than what he did. More, more, more miracles and other things. And you would think at this point that he would just breathe fire on these people who called him the, you know, the power of Beelzebul. He'd just kill them. I wish he would have, myself. That's just, you know, my, that's just the redneck in me speaking. <laughs> Jesus is no redneck. Notice how kind he is. He, he, can, he, he, he very kindly demonstrates the absurdity of their argument. So, effectively, he says, so let me get this straight. So, so Satan is divided against Satan. How does that work? And Satan throws himself out? Isn't it true? Doesn't it make logic sense? He's just arguing logic. That it takes someone stronger than Satan to throw out Satan? He's just, why, 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 the redneck in me, why does he still reach out to these people? He's far kinder than, at least I am, I'm probably you too. He's so kind. He, he's, so, he's so kind, in fact, he says something here, he says something here that is truly kindness. Now this is a this is a hard word, isn't it? He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. It's a hard word. It's also kindness. Doesn't have to tell you. Doesn't have to tell you. The road you're on is a road that leads to a bad spot, but you know what? I'm just going to watch. Not going to tell you. You have the luxury to do whatever he wants to. God knows us a blessed thing. And so even a hard, even a hard word is a kind word trying to turn their hearts. He doesn't give up on them. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. May the resilience of the Spirit of Christ be in those of us who are of Christ and not our, like I said, redneck spirit that wants to just say, you know what, forget it. Their hearts needed to be awakened, did it not? This warning and invitation to turn off the road that they're on. They don't even realize they're traveling. Listen, so you don't call me Beelzebub, but you're still on the same road if you're not with me. You're not trusting me as Savior. So I'm presenting myself as a Savior and forgiveness of sins and the Son of God Himself, but you're not accepting me on that level. You're just calling me a good teacher. You're on the same road those call me Satan. You're traveling the same road. I'm just trying to show you that you are. That's where you are. So these are heart-awakening words. That's the purpose of them. And so I want us to let ourselves, just for a moment, let our hearts be awakened to possibly someone here who has never accepted Christ. Let your heart be awakened to the truth. Let your heart be awakened. Let your heart be awakened to, uh, through fear. I mean, those who rejected Jesus back then, this 2,000 years ago, here's, here's just a, uh, a news flash for you. They've been in hell for 2,000 years. It's not that life is so short. It's just that you're dead for so long. Think about it. They didn't get reincarnated. We get another shot at it. We always say, you don't, you're not promised another day. You're certainly not promised another life. Those people have been in torment for 2,000 years. Fear of eternal judgment is necessary to awaken our hearts. In fact, not just necessary, it is prescribed. Jesus' own words. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Now, are you? You put locks on your doors and carry a gun? Me too. 
I'm not, is that going with Jesus? I don't know. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. I'm just saying, if you're, if you're trembling in fear of those people, they can't do much to you other than six feet under. God can do far worse. Unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Fear of God is prescribed, absolutely necessary. Of what good is a Savior if there is no hell? Of what good? Jesus is a Savior because there is a hell, and you're headed there if you're not with him. You're against him. Let your heart be awakened through judgment. Why is there lifeboats and life jackets on ships? Because they sink. That's why. They just do. Hopefully you're on one that doesn't. But nonetheless, they're on there. You see them. They're, they're representative. You see them hanging out there. You see the life jackets where they're supposed to be. Why? Because that's what happens. And the boat you're on is going to sink. And it's not enough to know that the life jackets and the lifeboats can save you. Oh, we believe that the life jackets can save you. Yeah, but you don't put them on. Then you don't believe it. Likewise, you believe that Jesus is the Savior. Awesome. How are you different than the Satan? How are you different than the devil? You have to put him on. You have to accept him. Either you're with him or you're against him. Let your heart be awakened to, by fear. Let your heart be awakened to repentance. You will have to repent of having Jesus as only a good man. You will have to repent of that. As only a good miracle worker, a good teacher, a good example, a good guru, all kinds of things that people call him, you will have to repent of that. To, for him to only be that, you're going to have to repent of that. Because either you're going to have him as those things and not as Savior, you're going to have him as Savior and those things, of course. He's those things. It's easy the Son of God or he is a missionary of Satan. You're going to have to repent of one of those. You have to turn your back on one of those. Well, I don't think he's a missionary savior, but is he the Lord of your life? Is he your savior? You've got to repent of one of them. There's not a middle ground here. Jesus doesn't give us that luxury. Doesn't have a spot in the middle where you're, you can decide. You need to know that, yeah, you've got time to decide. Obviously, he's letting you live. But, but you're, if you're not with him, you're against him. And you don't want to pass out of this life like that. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we think about what Jesus has said to us today. Where are you today? You. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, your mind on the things of God, I hope. Are you really with him? Contemplating this whole issue of accepting Jesus as Savior? No, I, and I, I hope you are, but... You understand, because you're contemplating, it doesn't put you in the camp. To contemplate in the life jacket doesn't save, doesn't let that life jacket rescue you from the sinking ship you're on. No, you have to put it on. You have to have a personal encounter with the Son of God, who was our Savior and our Rescuer and our Redeemer who died to pay for our sins. You have to personally accept what He did as your only hope for eternity, as your only chance of going to heaven, you have to repent of all the things you thought were going to save you and all the things you thought he was and turn to who he really is. The Son of God, the Rescuer, the Savior, our only hope. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness to us.
Every day that we're alive, if we're breathing, it's because you're being kind to us. You're reaching out a hand. The kindness of God, it says, leads us to repentance. And we see how kindly you dealt with these people who were just short of cussing you out. You were so kind to them, God. Thank you for the kindness that you poured out on our lives. Many of us here, Lord, you had to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. We didn't listen the first time. We didn't listen the tenth time. But you kept chipping away. Thank you for your kindness to us, God. Thank you for being kind to the one who's hearing today who's not sure where he stands or where she stands. I pray, God, that they would let your kindness bring them to fear, bring them to repentance. Thank you, God, for being with us today. Thank you, God, for leading us in this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.